Man stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This, of course, is the show where you come for the accent and you stay for the principles. And today's wow, we got a good show for you today. I want to start with just talking to you and, and trying to reach out to people who are more leaning on the left who listen to this show. And to make a plea with you to talk to you about the future. Later on in the show, I've got a fascinating interview with a guy from England called Zubi. He's a rapper. Um, he's of Nigerian descent. He's English. He lived in Saudi Arabia. You don't want to miss it. It's a, it's a, it actually went over. Um, the interview went long, but it was just such a really fascinating interview. Great to hear someone talk about freedom in the UK. But I want to reach out to my friends on the left and have a conversation with you about some of the problems we face in our world today. But doing it in a way that understands where we can find common ground. Because one of the problems that I see with a lot of people today is we don't ever look at the other side of the aisle. We never look and we always assume that anybody who has a difference of opinion to us tends to have malice in their heart, tends to, you know, be coming from a bad actor point of view. Now, that is absolutely true when it comes to the media. That is absolutely true when it comes to politicians. And I say this on both sides of the aisle. They, you know, there is bad actors out there, but the average person on the street, the average Democrat, the average liberal, the average person on the right, you're fundamentally good people. You may be flawed, you may be wrong in your thinking, but you're not coming from a bad place. It might be from ignorance or it might be from apathy or it might be from life experience, but just you can be wrong. But there's two issues in the world today that are dominating that no one ever seems to want to address in a real way. We always want to flame throw, and especially my friends in the left, and I mean the left, not liberals. And those two are that the, the systematic racism in the police and that the half of the population is racist. That if you vote for Donald Trump, you're a racist. If you vote for Donald Trump, you're a Nazi, you're Hitler himself. If you don't wear a mask, you're a murderer. If you don't act a certain way, if you vote a certain way, if you don't vote for Joe Biden and think everything he's doing right now is splendid, you're the problem. You're a right winger and that's a bad thing. I want to talk to you about two issues. First of all, racism. Is there a problem with racism in our world? Yes. Is it a massive problem? Look, that's up for individual people to decide. I don't think it's anywhere near as massive as it everyone likes to make it out to be. I think there are really bad people out in the world who automatically think they are superior, whether it's because they're white, whether because they're a certain race, whether they live in a certain neighborhood. This is never going to change. There are always going to be people who will look down on other people. You don't come from the right class. You don't earn enough money. You didn't go to the right school. Race is just included in that. There'll always be that. There'll be sexuality. There will always be people who will demonize someone else. They go, they're the problem in society. So racism is an issue. And it's unlikely, sadly, never to go away as long as human beings want to divide each other. But let's ask ourselves, how do we solve racism? There seems to be a problem missing in, in large parts because of politics. 
that no one wants to seem to build a coalition anymore. No one wants to seem to build the Reagan Democrats. No one wants to seem to reach out to other people. No one wants to seem to be seen talking to, oh, I can't be seen talking to you. You're a right winger. Really? Let's talk about racism. How do you solve racism? You see, there's two ways you can solve problems. You can solve it through the barrel of the gun where you say you must comply or else. Does that really work? Is there, if you, are you telling me if you saw a racist and you walked up to the street and you had him at a barrel of a gun, you would change their opinion? You wouldn't change it. You would just get them to be silent. How do you actually solve it? Option two is what Martin Luther King did. He changed hearts and minds. The proof of this is 25% of people who turned up to listen to him speak were white. The high of a dream speech on the mall. 25% of people who turned up that day were white. Why did he do that? Because it was about a message. It was about empowering people. It wasn't about demeaning America. It wasn't about getting and saying, well, America is a systematic racist country and we have this problem. No, it was about changing hearts and minds. There are racists out there. I want to share a story with you from Germany that should find, everyone should find common ground and agree with this. There's a German guy He's a 39-year-old man. He's a punk. Was on a bus, and there's video of this. It's been since taken down, but I'm sure because of the interwebs, it never goes, nothing ever goes away permanently. There's a video, and it happened in Erfurt, where basically there's 17-year-old refugees from Syria on the bus in the front seat, and he seems to get up and, or in a seat at the door, sorry, it's not at the front, and basically racially abuses her and then kicks her in the head several times. As a video, you know, as watching a video, as seeing a guy kick a girl, there is, to get the race, just looking at it, you don't have to kind of go, well, I wonder who the good guy is here and who's the bad person. It's obvious. That's pure racism. That's pure evil. That's wrong. We can deal with racism. There are people who we can all find a consensus. We can all actually agree, hey, don't do this. Don't act like this. David Duke's a bad person. White supremacists are real. They're bad people. Let's get common ground and let's get 90% of the people actually there. Let's not have everyone a racist because they have a difference of opinion. Because guess what happens? If you lump a lot of people who listen to this show who are Republican or conservative or libertarian and myself, hey, they, you didn't like Obama. You're racist. No. I disagree with all his policies. I disagree with his policies on his principles. It was never about his color of his skin. You want proof of that? Look at me and Joe Biden. Joe Biden's just a worse, more extreme version of Obama. I'm not like Biden is brace. Biden's brilliant. I love him. Sleepy Joe. I'm not on that bandwagon. I don't do bandwagons. We have to understand there are real racists. How do we solve this? Because if you're looking at it from the victim point of view of when you just feel sorry for your, your black brothers and sisters and your brown brothers and sisters and your Latinx, which we love coming up with these terms, or you feel sorry for you know, your Asians, whatever aspect you feel sorry for, how do you want to, their lives to live? Do you actually want to solve racism? Because if you do, you need to build a consensus to get 90, 95% of the people on board going, that's wrong, let's not go down that path. We have, fought, we have seen white supremacists. We have seen Nazis in the last hundred years. We don't want to get back to that point. But here's the thing. When you lump everyone in there, guess what happens? No one knows what the, the word Nazi means because it's just, hey, you have a different opinion? You're a Nazi. Hey, you, you're, you're, you vote a certain way? You're a Nazi. Really? Understand that words have meaning. 
And look at what's happening in your country with these stupid attacks on people. Oh, your difference of opinion, you're a Nazi. Or this incredible, incredible, insulting historical point of view where now what happened in Georgia is now the new Jim Crow. Go research Jim Crow. Go research what's happening. There is no comparison. Or the modern day comparison where I've seen people compare um, George or uh, yeah, George Floyd to Emmett Till. Go read a history book. There is no comparison. But then, oh, you'd say that because you're a Nazi and a right winger and racist, John. Of course you wouldn't feel sorry for him. I do. What happened to him was wrong. There's, not, there's no one I have met. And I have friends on all political sides of that who saw that attack and went, yeah, that's great. That's awesome. Let's, yay. Thumbs up, brother. Everyone, that is disgusting. That is vile. That is bad policing one-on-one. That should not happen in 2021. There are so many reasons why we should be talking about these big principles. But here's where I want to take story two. You see, the problem with everyone is in America is so many with our friends on the left. I want, I'm distinguishing my friends on the left. I'm not talking about liberals because we need to start talking to liberals to get people to wake up. Because our friends on the left, all they see is race. It's critical race theory. It's race, 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 race. What color is your skin? What color are you? Oh, well, you're white. You're automatically bad. You're black. You're automatically the victim. There are bad policing out there. There are very bad police. There are very people. And I want to share a story with you. And of course, a lot of people will attack him. Oh, of course you're sharing this story, John, because the person just happens to be a victim is a white person. You only feel sorry for them. No, I've been outspoken about police. I defend the police. I support the police. But when they're bad and they act bad, guess what? I'm the first person there to go, that's wrong. I, I defend you, but that I will not defend you and your actions. You are wrong. Story from... There's a Loveland police officers, Austin Hopp and Daria Jalidia, were arrested a lady called Karen Gardner. You heard about this story? She's 73 year old with dementia. She has dementia. She went into a shop. Yeah, and basically, because of her dementia, walked out with 13 bucks worth of items. She was the police were called. And basically, I won't share the whole details with you, but they got her arrested her. They dislocated her shoulder. They broke her arm and dislocated her shoulder. And then they put her in a cell for six hours without medical attention. Then to make things worse, there was video released of police officers apparently watching this arrest and laughing. Now, here's the real talk. Is there anyone, if you watch this video, who would look at that and kind of, that's brilliant, that's funny. Or is every person watching that going to go, you know what, if I could get that police officer, I would punk the head off. Or those, pe- those punks behind the desk looking at it, that's, but that could be my granny, that could be my mother, that could be my sister, that could be my aunt. And you're laughing at it because she has dementia and you arrested her and you think it's funny? There's part of me, there's, this, there's the primal instinct where you go, I want to beat the crap out of every one of them. I don't care that they're police officers. That doesn't change their actions. So what can we do? We can actually have a conversation about police. Or we can have and say, hey, uh, let's just talk facts. Do the police have a tough job? Yes. Would you want to be a police man or woman? Chances are you might say yes, but in the climate, you really wouldn't. The idea of, I love how we just talk about routine traffic stops. 
It's one of the most dangerous things a police person can do because you don't know who you're coming up against. You stop someone. Are they just a normal person who you're stopping because their taillight is out or they were speeding and they're just a, no, a normal citizen? Are you stopping a gang member? Are they going to drive off? Are they going to pull a gun on you? Are they going to abuse you? Are they going to do it? You're, you're heightened. Is there a culture right now that says, you know what, we're going to hear out the police. You know, if there's an accusation, we're going to, you know, hear it out. We're going to hear the accusation. We're going to let them present the defense. And we're going to let the facts, you know, fall where they may. And let's make a judgment fair. Or is there a culture that says, no, I don't care the setbacks. I don't care about the situation. The police are bad. Bad policemen. Victim good. That's also true. But they're also, because police are not perfect, they're not angels, there are people who join the police force because they like the power. They have this devious, hey, guess what? I want the prestige of being able to walk among the community going, I'm better than you. I am so much. I'm a policeman. And if you look at me the wrong way, I can arrest you. I can go into your house. I can get a warrant. I can do anything I want because I have the power. I have the golden ring. I have Lord and Lord of the Rings. I am the one who controls that power. You better not mess with me. Yes, there are police people like that. But there are also police people out there who want to serve their neighborhood, who have lived in a community, who have family roots in communities going back generations, who and their father was a cop or their mother was a cop or their grandfather was a cop and they're a cop. And they just want to be there for people who see wrong in society and go, you know what? I want to make their people's pain better. When someone has been wronged, I want to be there to help them, to ensure they get justice. These are all true. Surely we can all agree on them. But the problem is we don't want to do that. We only want to have this conversation where it's, no, cops are bad. Cops suck. How many times is this a, a right answer? Is it right when the left say to let right suck? So why is it right when the cops are said about the cops? The choice we have right now, and this is on every issue. These are just two small issues I wanted to talk to you about. The choice we have right now is we need to start talking to each other and reaching out to people. Oh, but John, the left are all socialists. They won't listen. Well, we got to try. We have to try something. Because if we don't try anything, we're done. We may as well just wave the white flag and say, I give up, go home, see you later, bye-bye, adios, I'm done. Or we can start reaching out to people and start listening. And I don't mean when I say reach out to people. I've had people say, well, anytime I've said this over the years, in the show, well, I reached out to someone and I spoke to them. No, you have to reach out and listen. Because guess what? We don't have all the answers. We might like to think we do, but they might have some suggestions themselves. They might have life experiences that we don't have. But let's have those conversations. Let us not be afraid of actually listening to people. Let us not be afraid of big ideas. Let us actually embrace conversation. Let us embrace ideas and let's try and build a better world. What choice do you want? One is really hard and one is really easy. One will automatically fail and one could fail or it could be really successful. But what do you want to follow? What path do you want to choose? But if that doesn't get to you, then let me hit it really home. What path and what life do you want to leave for your kids and your grandkids? Because we're now facing a time and an era where our kids and our grandkids are not going to be as well off as we are. The choice is yours. And it's not a choice you'll make by words. It's not like a decision where you wake up and hey, I'm going to be on the right side of history. No, the choice will be made by your actions. Do you want to be part of the problem? Do you want to be part of the solution? Or do you just want to be on the sidelines and be apathetic to go, ah, I'm not pushed either way, John. 
The choice is yours. Choose wisely. joined by rapper, fitness, father, entrepreneur, and good, very well-spoken guy in England, and really excited to speak to him. Zuby, thank you so much for joining me. Happy to be here, Jonathan. How are you doing? I'm doing good, man. So I, you've got a really interesting story. So I came across you on Twitter, um, and first of all, you know, it's very rare for me to see an English person actually talk common sense and really for freedom you know a lot of english people love the monarchy and love government and anytime i i've got english friends and it's it's kind of you know it's always either you know left and right labor tory you know boris is good boris but there's no real kind of thinking and it's all very political so mm. i came across you on twitter and then i was like i have to have you on the show because it's so refreshing to see someone not really give much political view, but just talk common sense. But then when I started researching you for this show, you've got a really interesting story in the sense that you're born in England, um, you're of Nigerian family, and you spend a lot of time in Saudi Arabia. Mm -hmm. Man, that, you've got, you must have some, that's one interesting childhood to have. <laughs> yeah, most definitely, man. I mean, you summarized it there. Um, also of note, when I was in Saudi Arabia, I was in the American schooling system. I went to an international school, so people can probably hear in my accent. I don't sound like your typical English guy. Um, so I've had heavy exposure to four different cultures as I was growing up. Um, obviously, Nigerian culture, Igbo specifically, um, British culture, American culture, and then also Arabic or Saudi Arabian culture. And they all have very big differences. And so I'm someone whose perspective is shaped by that experience. And I have the ability to, I guess, see things from a different angle and a different perspective than the majority of people. I think a lot of people say if you are born in London and you grow up in London and that's where you spend most of your time, or you know, you're born in um, uh, Los Angeles and you've grown up there and that's really what you know, then you tend to assume that default angle and you compare everything just to your own very limited point of reference. Whereas in my case, from very, very early on, I've had heavy exposure to a lot of different ways of doing things, it, whole different legal systems, different cultures, different um, traditions, religions, people from all different races and ethnic backgrounds, just a true diversity in the, in the realest sense of the word. So I, you know, what, number one, it makes me less judgmental of certain things, but also it just allows me to, I think, be more empathetic and to understand, okay, these are some of the key core differences between um, the UK mentality even and the American mentality or the British system and the American system. Um, then this is how they do things in Saudi Arabia and in the Middle East and other Islamic countries. And then in African countries such as Nigeria, these are some of the traditions and cultures and ways of thinking, etc. And I sort of cherry pick what I like out of each of them and drop the stuff that I don't like to form my own personal worldview and philosophy, but I can at least understand where they're coming from. And beyond that, I've, I've just traveled a lot and had a very rich experienced life so far. 
Absolutely. So what was it like growing up in Saudi Arabia? Because, you know, everyone has an opinion on Saudi Arabia. Like we can all talk about, you know, the the, the German, everyone, you know, if you think of Saudi Arabia in the Middle East, you automatically think of, I can, I'm not going to even try to pronounce that guy's name, you know, Ishmael, uh, you know, the journalist I'm trying to talk about. Oh, Jamal, Jamal Khashoggi. You're so much better. Okay. And <laughs> um, different things like that. They hear mm. about women's rights, you know, lack of rights to catch. Yeah. Drive. I mean, that's, it, it's so funny that you, it's so interesting that you say that, right? Because it's like you, you're automatically saying people think of the, the very worst things that have happened or that the government has done. Mm hmm. Would you want your country to be judged like that? No. <laughs> right? This this is the thing. It's like, so this is, you know, I do talk to, you know, people who are Saudi Arabian nationals. And oftentimes you have to remember, just like in the, just like, I mean, how critical am, am I of the British government? How critical are Americans of the American government? So on yeah. and so forth. Like, it's not, the government does not, I mean, it's supposed to represent the citizens, but we all know there is a huge chasm between a government and the actual people and it's extremely it's extremely naive actually it's very ignorant actually to judge a country based on um the governmental actions i think you can you can condemn those and you can look at things individually and separate things out but i think there's a problem and a massive prejudice when people take the worst things that any given government has done and they put that across the whole people and yeah. For, for listeners to know, I think it's important to realize that this is a global thing, right? There are a lot of Middle Eastern countries who view America, the UK, as the enemy. Mm -hmm. Death to America. I'm sure you've heard that before. Yep. And they are basing that off of certain governmental actions, which a lot of Americans do not approve of, by the way, right? Yeah. How, how critical were people of uh, the Iraq war and Afghanistan war and a lot of the Middle Eastern interventions and things like that, right? But if those people were to take that and use that as a reason to sort of condemn or be prejudiced against all British people or all American people, et cetera, I think we'd be very much like, no, no, like that's not that's not that's not right and that's not accurate sure. so i think it's important that delineation and people don't tend to make it um when it applies to certain countries it's a very sort of one-way thing but again that's that's the sort of lack of empathy that i was talking about previously where people don't take the moment to separate what a government is doing versus who the people are and what they believe and actually trying to just understand and be open-minded um towards who people are and what they believe in. If, if you're someone who's traveled around the world a lot, you'll actually find that, you know, the majority of people in the world, wherever you go, any city, any country, majority of the people in the world are decent. They want to take care of themselves, earn their daily bread, look after their family, take care of their kids, protect themselves from harm, and generally be reasonably free without having um, people tread on them, you know, looking at the sign in the, behind you, right? That's generally... Absolutely. That's generally what people want all over the world, regardless I, of their race, religion, creed, color, etc. I completely agree. And I always make this distinction about Ireland. I always say it's a great place to visit, 
people are really nice, but mm-hmm. that I hate the government. I, <laughs> I don't like it. I yeah. I always say to people, you know, come visit, have a great time, embrace the culture, make sure you've got a ticket out of here, man, because yeah. it's not a fun place, and especially with COVID, which we're mm-hmm. going to get to in a few minutes. But just for, you know, as growing up, because obviously as a kid, it's you see things different. You know, what was it actually like? Were you kind of in your little uh, sort of expat bubble over there? Or did you mm-hmm. get to kind of explore and sort of, you know, embrace the culture of you know because obviously there's obviously a totally different culture to like ramadan and yes. how you dress and different things were you exposed to that and do you have memories of that or yeah know, definitely. What, what were your thoughts yeah i mean it's important to know so i lived in saudi arabia from the age of one to the age of 20 so it's not like i was just there as a little boy and i never sort of saw it through adult eyes um so where i lived to be clear it was very much like an expat bubble to use your terms Um, but you venture outside of that as well. So once you go outside of the expat community, they actually call them camps. Once you're outside of that and I don't know, say you, you just want to go shopping, right. And you're going into the city. Um, then yeah, you experience more of what I would call real Saudi. Um, and how would I, how would I describe it? I mean, first of all, I, I think it's worth saying that my overall experience was very, very positive. Um, it was a great place to grow up. Um, depending on what kind of work you do, it seems like it's a, a great place to work. There are a lot of benefits and in many, many ways, depending on what you do, um, it's way better than the West for work in a lot of ways. I haven't worked there myself, but the the opportunities and the benefits and I mean, it, it's, re- it's a really funny country as well because again, people know the more authoritarian aspects of it, but then, um, I mean, judging by the sign behind you, I presume you're a, a libertarian, right? And well. I'm, I'm very pro-freedom. Leaning, yeah. And and it's kind of funny because, you know, of course, it's a it's a tax-free country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, that, so, that, so that there, there are, uh, I'm not even going to pretend that the, um, that it's a, it's a libertarian country, right? Because no. there are a lot of things that aren't allowed, but it's interesting that there are certain aspects where it, it take it takes from certainly in terms of the way it's governed it takes from various aspects of the political spectrum so for the progressives and the liberals you know there's free free uh you know free healthcare for citizens um free education in fact they'll even pay for your university even abroad in many cases um oh. but then there's no but then for the for the libertarians there's there's no income tax there's no taxes period no vat no right. taxes no sales taxes whatsoever but then again, of course, they're super, super, I mean, uh, you, you know, death penalty for drugs, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. You know, so it's like, it, it's not the typical sort of left, right spectrum in the way that we, we see it in the West. But my personal experience growing up there was fantastic. Like, I grew up in a great community, went to a great school um, and living there as an expat. Yeah, you do, of course, encounter, you don't just stay in the bubble, you do encounter the real Saudi and, you know, meeting the people and talking to people and interacting and stuff. And generally I'm very much a, look, when it, when in Rome, do as Romans do. Okay. Yeah. So if you're in any country, this goes beyond Saudi, Saudi Arabia, I think just be respectful to people's culture, tradition, religions, whatever it is. It doesn't mean you have to follow it. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not from a, I'm not a Muslim. I'm not from a Muslim family, but you're simply respectful. So to give you an example, you mentioned Ramadan. So during Ramadan, if you're in Saudi Arabia or another Islamic country, it's very bad form to be eating and drinking in public. Okay, so everyone else is fasting and is abstaining from food and drink. So you don't wander around in the city eating a cheeseburger, right? So 
if you are not, if you're an expat, if you're American, Irish, English, whatever, like, and you're not a Muslim, no one expects you to fast, but just be respectful of the fact that people are fasting, right? Yeah. Stuff like that. Um, don't go out. That's just common um, sense though as well. Like, cause like, it is, I, it is. I remember my producer for the show was a Muslim years ago. And like, he was telling me about Ramadan. I was like, you are so committed. Like, you know, I, I'm a Christian. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, you, you think of what we have to do. I'm not sure if you're a Christian or not, but like he had, when he was going through Ramadan, he was like fasting eight, eight, 18 hours a day. And like his, his kids were going to bed because they were mm-hmm. young and then he'd have to wake them up to eat to, so they could eat and then go back to bed. And I was like, mm-hmm. wow, like that's commitment. You know, it, it, it is, it is, um, you know, like, and I have a lot of respect for that. Um, I do, I do respect it. I mean, of course, you know, they pray five times a day. If you're out and about in the city, five times a day, the shops all close, Yeah, right? All the shops close. They have the prayer call that goes out. Um, so that, and to me growing up, these things were normal, right? Because I, I, I grew up there. So that's what I knew. Um, in fact, when I came to the UK, one of the first things I found weird was the week running from Monday to Friday, because I was used to the week starting on Saturday and running yeah. until Wednesday, right? Saturday, yeah. Wednesday, and then Thursday and Friday is the weekend. And then I had to adjust to that. So there are a lot of small differences. And then there are the, the much bigger differences. Um, but overall, it very much helped to shape me as a person and to understand the world better, not just the Western world. But, um, you know, I haven't been everywhere in the world, but I've been to a lot of different countries. And I think, you know, you learn, you learn the commonalities, but you also learn the differences and you see everywhere has its pros and its cons, right? There are certain things better in this place or and then things are better in that place. And um, again, like I said, ultimately you learn that number one, the majority of people are good and decent. And I think that's, that's actually a very important point. Wherever you go, the majority of people are decent. I think some people who don't travel again, they have them in their mind that, oh, these people over there are just, uh, you know, they're just, backwards and ignorant and horrible or whatever and then we're the good ones right you know exactly but actually when you look into it in more depth and you meet people and you talk to people and you understand values and another thing that you learn from traveling is that different places have different value structures yeah. so not every culture i mean this, this goes beyond countries even just cultures right if you go between if you go from los angeles to um you know even uh i don't know Fort Fort Worth, Texas or Utah, right? People have a different, some, you know, their commonalities, but the yeah. culture is different. The general value system is different. Everywhere has its own sort of personality and vibe. And all of that is, all of that's just important. If you want to understand humanity, which is something I'm always trying to do. Sometimes it gets very frustrating, but one of my, one of my big missions in life is just to number one, to try to understand myself but then also just try to, to make sense of the world. Why do people do what they do? Why are there so many different ways of doing things and, and believing things? And I'm, I'm fascinated by all of it, you know, from language to culture, to politics, to religion, et cetera. I'm not hyper-political in the sense that I care about what's going on with a particular political party, but I'm more interested in, okay, we've got seven and a half billion people on earth. You've got you know, 65 million people in the UK, 330 million people in the USA. What is the best way? What's the best system to make this work without us killing each other (laughs) or without people being horribly deprived or whatever it is. And people have different philosophies and different ideas. And so to me, that's, what's interesting. It's not really the nitty gritty. It's more the high level, big picture idea of humanity. 
Absolutely. And just one last question before we get on to, to you know, other bigger issues of the day. Growing up in Saudi, you know, when you went outside your little camp or your bubble, mm-hmm. what was the reaction like to, you know, were they, were the, not the government, not anything political, but just, you know, the person on the street, the, the Saudi, you know, Joe Soap, average Joe, mm. was he welcoming to make if he heard, oh, I don't know how you spoke back then, where did you have an English kind of accent then? I've, like, never, I've, I've never had an English accent in my life. You um, lucky boy. <laughs> I, no, I sounded totally American. I, I still sound American, but I sounded 100% American at the time. Okay, so were they welcoming then? Did they think there's an American enemy or did they just not? No, no. I mean, you have to remember the U.S. and Saudi are allies, man, and have been for and have been for decades. Um, No, like there's no I've haven't had no problems whatsoever. Very much the opposite. People very, very welcoming, hospitable people that are more welcoming and hospitable in general than they are here. (laughs) Wow. Real talk. Yeah. Like by quite a long way. It's not, you know, there's a real culture of hospitality real culture of hospitality and anyone who's actually traveled to Saudi Arabia majority I'm sure there's people who have had bad experiences but the majority that I've you know spoken to and of course people I lived with are you know blown away by the level of hospitality you know people really go out of their way and you also have to remember that it's a very it is a you know, I don't, I know you're, you're a Christian, I'm a Christian. And, you know, depending on who's listening, people may have different views on, you know, religion and, and stuff. But you have to remember that Saudi is a, it's a very religious country, right? It's a mm-hmm. very religious country. So with that comes the fact that you have a God-fearing population. Okay. So it's not a population where everyone's on a totally different page and people are just like, whatever, you know, here. And I don't know if you're in London, if you're in Dublin, if you're in Los Angeles, if you're in New York, there's not really, you know, people say, use the word multiculturalism. And it's just, you know, people are not on the same page, right? This person's, this person believes this, this person, it's all mixed up. In Saudi, people are more generally on the same page. And with that does come a fear of God. And with that does come a respect for humanity and certain things being sacred and certain things being important and valued and so on and so forth. So whether or not you agree with all of those values, that's not the, that's not my point here. It's just that people have them. And that I think is a, is a key part of the overall culture and way that people behave. Um, you know, uh, even down to people just, again, this, this is my own experience and it may vary for different people, but I found people there like to be, for example, very honest, like honest, almost to a, you know, I remember one time I went out shopping and um, I overpaid for an item. It was supposed to be discounted, but they charged me the full price. The owner of the shop was wandering around the shopping center for over an hour trying to find me to give me back the difference. Wow. And I was like, in the UK, that would not happen, right? Like, no. <laughs> I was just <laughs> like, that was, right? It, it wouldn't happen. They'd just be like, oh, you know. And so that's the kind of, that's just the kind of people you get. There's lots of other examples. People are very welcoming. Even, um, after Ramadan, of course, you know, you have Eid. And whether or not you're a Muslim, you know, you'll get invited to tons of people's houses, right? Like right. the Muslims in the community, they'll be inviting you to, you know, come and feast with feast with them, basically, right? Because they've been right. fasting for a whole month. And um, yeah, people are just very, um, my experience was very, was very positive. In fact, now that they're open to tourists, I'd be really interested to go back after over a decade and see what it's like.
diversity. I think that's the big thing. And, you know, we're, we're going to get into sort of our side of the world now. But like one of the frustrating things for me is, is this idea where, you know, you take an aspect of your life that I don't agree with, whatever that is, you know, if it's, you know, been gay or what, you know, whatever, you know, do drugs, you know, any aspect of it. Like, I'm like, you know, I'm not going to do that. It's this is somehow it's just turned into where I don't agree with you. So you're the enemy and mm-hmm. I'm going to have to destroy you. And like, I, I see this as I've got, I've got Muslim friends the say my, my producer of the show used to be a Muslim and he moved and went to another company. There's no problem. We disagree on who God is. We have a very disagreement on who God is we have a very big disagreement you know on terrorism and different things and you know america and that's cool but it's this understanding that look you do you and i'll do me and i'm not going to kill you because you have a difference of opinion to me or i'm not going to call you a, a nazi or a you know a right winger or any of these terms you know that we get around a racist you know it's just you have a different opinion you do you and i'll do me and if we understand that the world actually does get on a lot better, you know, on all on all aspects. Mm-hmm. But uh, moving on to to your country, so you've been very outspoken because I don't know how frustrated you are um, with the COVID, um, but I, I'm I'm really frustrated. <laughs> yeah. Um, because there it seems to be there's absolutely nothing in coming out that is common sense. And the funny thing is, I look at your tweets, and there's always part of me that goes, yeah, "That's absolutely right." But man, you're lucky you don't live in Ireland. <laughs> oh, geez. Yeah, because we're worse. Like, you know, it's Crazy. everyone has this great idea of Ireland as, oh, we're this friendly, freedom-loving country. We've had one of the harshest lockdowns in the mm-hmm. world. Mm-hmm. We've been locked down since Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we've, we're starting to open up. I'm really annoyed at this today. So, like, we've started to, our uh, you know, our politicians have, have laid out a roadmap for opening up. You can do all these different things. You can go to get your hairdressers mm-hmm. from May 10th. You can go to the shops from May mm-hmm. 17th. You're allowed to go to churches, pubs open. Then after all this happens, then the gym's open. Yep. And I'm like, so you're talking to me about science. You know, the numbers are in around the world of what causes COVID. If you're overweight or you're in poor health, you know, you need, you know, you're a high risk of COVID. But Mm -hmm. what we're going to do is going to shut down the gyms for like six months. Dude. It's so, sorry, this this is annoying me like hell today. It's not about health. No, it's not. And it's not about so how has it been for you in England? Because at least we're not from the articles I see, there's actually a section of English society that's kind of go, stop, mm. we need to open. And it's been refreshing to see. Yeah, I mean, I, firstly, I, I think one thing I've learned, I, I tweeted this the other day, is that I've noticed that so-called liberals and progressives, people who title themselves that, become ultra conservatives when they're scared. Yeah. <laughs> right. So look at Canada, right? Look at Ireland. Look yeah. at, you know, even it's like, wow, with the exception of Sweden, it's like, wow, some of the most so-called liberal countries have had the most sort of totalitarian, leg- legitimately, you know, I, using the word totalitarianism properly, like in its true context, yeah. right? Sh- absolutely shutting down the borders, putting very harsh restrictions, mandates, so, you know, new, oh gosh, Australia, New Zealand. Um, it's I couldn't of, go more than three miles from my house. Dude, it's, it's, you know, blowing. like I'm, and I'm like, and I'm the problem. And yeah, like, I, I can't, like, this is the one thing I can't, I'm trying to get to people. I kind of go, how is it right? Or how do you make sense of this world where I am a free person mm-hmm. that I'm literally waiting for a conversation between the health expert in Ireland and the, the prime minister of Ireland to get together to tell me when I can go <laughs> to the gym again and that everyone is okay with this conversation. And I'm just using that because gym is yeah. my thing. I'm a powerlifter. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, or you want to go to the business again, or you want to go to church again, that you have no part in this conversation. It's not like you can appeal the decision. You can't make your case. It's not like a court case, but everyone's totally fine with it. 
Yeah. And it's how do we make that case? Man, I don't know. Because to me, this is something that happens over decades, right? Like, so people being in this mindset, both the sheep mindset, but, you know, well, yeah, I guess you could call it sheep, but both in terms of just following orders, but also in terms of being extraordinarily docile, extra, extraordinarily docile, even when being led to the slaughter. Um, that's something that's taken decades. You know, we've seen side, signs of it, especially over the past 10 years in all these Anglosphere countries, you know, um, whether you're looking at wokeism and you're looking at the sort of growing secular ideologies, primarily coming from the left side of the spectrum, all this progressive nonsense and hyper-political correctness and cancel culture and all this and people being afraid to speak out. It's been coming for a long time. And now that the population is weak and docile, they'll be willing to accept something like this, right? So we're now, I, mean, I don't know what, 80 years removed from World War II, <laughs> um, where people were fighting for freedom and fighting yeah. for liberty and against totalitarianism. Um, and I think, honestly, people have just become flabby and lazy in every sense, you know, um, both literally, but also mentally. Also, you know, people have lost their fight. People have lost, lost the spirit of, you know, it, it's complacency. It's complacency. It seems that when people are free, they crave bondage. And when people are in bondage, they crave freedom. And I think that people have just been free and life has been so easy and we haven't had to face anything in our lives. And we, I mean, the whole fact that, bro, I mean, outside of people, you know, if you are under 60, it is literally a fact that the survival rate of this particular virus is over 99.9%. Yeah. Okay. If you are, un if you're young, if you're like, 40 or under, right? Say it's literally like 99 in some case, like 90, it can be as high as 99.997% survival rate or something, assuming you even get, assuming you even get the virus, mm -hmm. right? Like no children are dying from this thing for basically, you know, I think it's been maybe under a dozen in the entire, over this whole thing in the UK, yeah. right? Um, I think something like 650 people under the age of 50 without comorbidities have died in the, of this, or, you know, died with this, let me say, not even died of this in mm -hmm. the past 14 months or something. It's ridiculous. And if you see the, um, the, the pro I mean, the disproportionality is insane. I mean, if we, if we were talking about a virus with like a 10% or 20% kill rate or something, this would make a little more sense. Yeah. But when you look at it, you're just like, wow. I mean, the propaganda and the marketing and the PR. I've never seen a virus with a fan base before, right? Like this whole thing, it has nothing to do, has very little to do with health, like both in terms of what the government's doing, but also in the way that people are responding. It's, it's reached, you know, I've been calling this thing a cult for since last year, right? It's, yeah. uh, you have people who are fully vaccinated, who are running outside with two masks on. Mm-hmm. This is a real thing, and and they're and they're happy about it, right? They're they they're part of they're signaling to, and I'm just like, you can scream science all you that that has that is the most anti scientific thing yeah. on multiple levels. You're fully vaccinated, number one. You're outside, you're yeah. exercising, and you're wearing two masks. Like there are multiple things here, which is telling me that this has nothing to do with science. Mm -hmm. um, so I mean, for, look for me personally. I've been very vocal on it, but I'm very vocal on things out of a point of principle. A <laughs> lot of people, and this is sad to say, but a lot of people are only, they really, you know, it's funny because they'll call people like us selfish, but their thinking is far more selfish. The truth is, you know, in terms of like income and career, like 
I've been fine in terms yeah. of being at risk, high risk of this thing. Like I'm not in terms of, in terms of all the negative impacts of both the virus and the lockdowns, et cetera. I'm pretty well insulated from it. Thank God. Right. Yeah. I'm pretty well insulated. I'm very well insulated in fact, but my point isn't just for me. I'm seeing across the board. Of course I'm seeing, um, you know, I have three family members who are doctors. So I've seen and heard a lot of the horror stories of the virus itself and the way it's hurt certain people or killed certain people, right? I've had it young, healthy, you know, I felt crappy. I felt bad for four days. Um, and then, you know, within a week I was hundred percent back to normal, but I've heard those horror stories and I have empathy and sympathy for anybody who's lost loved ones to this or an to anything, right? People die and it's sad that people die, but it's also part of life. Um, but then also I have a lot of empathy and sympathy for the people who have lost their jobs, lost their businesses. That's the thing that, homeless, that really hurts me. Yeah. Who have become suicidal, developmental health conditions, mm -hmm. all of this stuff. Like for me, it's a holistic viewpoint. I'm not here saying, oh, I don't care about um, this side or I don't care about that side. And that's what a lot of people are doing. So a lot of people in the media, politicians, by the way, who have been being paid this whole time, in fact, who have been being paid more in many cases, they get up there on their high horse and they start calling people names and calling people uh, COVIDiots or grandma killers or calling them selfish, whatever, for not supporting these lockdowns. And I'm like, you are the selfish person here. It's so easy for you to sit up there in your ivory tower and yell at everyone else and scream at them while you're collecting all this money and tell them to stay home, tell them to shut their business, tell them to just get on with it, you know? And it's very, very frustrating. So for me, I, I speak from the point of principle. And I know that a lot of people who are being hurt from this thing don't have the platform I have. They don't have the voice. Even if they want to articulate it, they may not be able to articulate certain things in the way that I can. So I feel a moral and an ethical duty to represent, try to represent the other side and also the full picture, right? Because people have been so myopic on this, so myopic. Yeah. I mean, on Monday, I don't know the numbers today. On Monday in the UK, there were six COVID-related deaths, 65 million people, mm -hmm. six deaths. Mm -hmm. you know how many people die in the average day on in the UK? About 1,500, 1,600. Yeah. Okay. But what makes the news? Oh, there yeah. were six COVID. And I'm like, are you people serious? Like, what is going on? Like, this is this is insane. So I've been speaking out from from very, very early. I opposed the lockdowns from the start. I opposed the mask mandates from the start. I've got the receipts for all of this. And look, people can call me whatever they want, but I don't care what people call me because I know what's in my heart. I know why yeah. I'm saying, saying and look, if you're the if you're just calling me names, then you know, you're not the person who is who has the moral high ground here, however you may feel. Because I'm not calling other people names. I'm not saying that if you uh, support a mask mandate that you do it because you're trying to um, harm people. Or, like I assume, okay, I think you're wrong, and I can explain why I think that, and yeah. I can explain my concerns. But I don't think you're doing it because you're horrible and evil. But so can you please give me that same charity? And a lot of people don't want to. And those are the conversations that. Well, you see, the problem is you're racist, <laughs> and, and the problem is you're you're a Nazi. And a right winger, and you know it's crazy. I I I've, I don't know if this has always been in your culture, um, but I've started to see it more and more prevalent because on um, on social media and through a few people I've spoken to, where in England now it's always been in America for the last ten years or so, but in England it's starting to spread now. Where if you dare have a different opinion, mm -hmm. you are a racist, and like a, like the, <laughs> the amount of stuff that's now right wing 
like I, I remember having a conversation with I've got a few liberal friends and lefty friends and like they were asking me about with the lockdown in Ireland I was like what's the biggest annoyance to you and I was like I want to get to the gym I'm a, I want to be a competitive powerlifter I haven't trained in nearly six months it's mm-hmm. doing my head in my gym is my safe space go lift a lot of weight and when I was going on I was like oh you're selfish and you're such a Nazi for wanting this and I kind of go so now going to the gym because you, you would agree I'm overweight and I'm wanting to get in better shape. Mm-hmm. I'm now a Nazi because I want to go to the gym. These and are, it's like, you call these people I friends? Him, I read Mein Kampf. I don't remember reading going to the gym part of it. It's Dude, yeah, manifesto. I mean, yeah, firstly, I wouldn't I wouldn't call people who call you a Nazi friends. That's That might be the first mistake there. Um, yeah, well, but... <laughs> But I, yeah, I friends. But like, I have, I, I consider everyone on um, who engages with the show as friends. Of different oh, okay, people. fair enough. <laughs> I try and keep. Look, it, it's got to the point where I do have to delete and block people. But mm-hmm. I've always tried to be very. Look, if you listen, I'll try and have a conversation hey, with you until it gets to a point. Yeah, man, and, man, I'm, I'm the same. But look, uh, you know, I have enough friends, and not everyone is worth. If someone, <laughs> I'm, look, I'm, I'm, I can talk all day to people I disagree with. But yeah. if you're going to start with the ad hominem and attacks on characters and false accusations, whatever, I have a rule that I'm I'm not interested in the conversation, right? As soon as if someone starts calling, throwing out these labels, Nazi, race, like, no, right? Just yeah. like if someone starts calling me a murderer, like, I'm not talking to you if you're calling me a murderer, man. Like, that's yeah. not that's not happening. I have too much self-respect. Um, so message to everyone. You don't have to have, you don't have to entertain these conversations if someone's coming from bad faith. Um but yeah, man, like I said, when when people are struck with fear, the majority of people don't just support authoritarianism, but they demand it. Yeah. Okay. And you also have to remember a lot of people, This and this is something I've really learned over this past 14, 15 months, is that most people don't have strong principles just in general. Most people's principles is whatever is popular or, you know, whatever... I'm kind of told to do, right? They don't really have strong principles and beliefs, certainly not politically, like when it comes to, you also have to remember, you know, like we talk politics as part of what we do, but most people don't really have political opinions. Like they just Mm -hmm. go with, oh, well, most people believe that and most people think that, or the government said it, so it's probably right. I call it outsourcing your thinking, right? They just outsource the thinking. Whereas someone who actually has a political philosophy, whatever it is, whether it's conservatism or libertarianism or liberal, like, but they've really thought about it and they've actually like studied some history and looked into it. You have, you then have like a grounding of why you believe what you believe and what you think the proper role of government is. So I would assume that both of us think that the role of government is quite defined and limited in its scope. It's not Mm -hmm. supposed to, it's not supposed to just be okay, they just can, they just have the power to just give you rights, take away rights, do whatever they want, right? If they just tell you, hey, stay at home and you can't go three miles outside of your house and you must dress like this when you go outside, like, you're like, no, that's not your role, right? Yeah. These are, those are my rights. Those mm-hmm. are my rights. My rights aren't coming from you. They're inherent, whether you believe that's from God or just from natural dint of birth which is what I believe, right? And I think what you believe as well. So that's why you end up with those clashes in these conversations. Because if you're talking to someone who thinks that, oh no, the government does have that authority and it's right and it's just and it's correct for them to be making whatever demands they want. They can just take whatever whatever rights, give them whatever, and there's no limit or scope on that. Then that's a hard conversation to have because both people are coming from such totally different 
philosophies. Um, and, you know, you can bring them around to your way of thinking, but it takes a lot of empathy and patience and time. It's, it's certainly not going to happen over Twitter. Um, and no, so can, no, you can totally happen in 280 characters. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's the thing. And I think that's for me personally, that's been one of the things that's been most disappointing is just sort of seeing the general, I, I guess you feel the same way with Ireland, right? It's just seeing, yeah. wow, how did millions and millions of people just take this lying down? Like, why are they not fighting? You're supposed, this is supposed to be a democracy. This is yeah. supposed to be a free country. This is mm -hmm. supposed to be um, a liberal country, right? Like, mm -hmm. why am I, and it's frustrating in these conversations because you're fighting for the rights of the person who's disagreeing with you, right? That yeah. person calling you a Nazi, you are fighting for their rights. You're sticking up for their rights. You don't, mm -hmm. You're not trying to force anything on them, <laughs> right? I'm not here saying, hey, we need to ban masks or yeah. you need to be forced to go outside and mingle or you should yeah. not. I'm, I'm just like, yo, we're in a free, we're supposed to be in a free country. People have the right to make certain risk assessments yeah. and to do what they want, right? I don't force anybody to drive a car or fly mm -hmm. in a plane or smoke a cigarette or eat a pizza, yeah. right? All of these things have a risk in them. Yeah. But we are allowed, you're an adult, I, we generally go around trusting people to be able to do risk assessment and to make these decisions, right? You know, if you're going out and you're aggressing on someone else and you're trying to assault them or hurt them, whole different story. But ultimately, like, this is how society's always operated our entire lifetime. So it's been really, really disconcerting and honestly just sad to see in such a short period of time over something, like I said, that is so mild as well yeah. um, in the, in the grand scheme of things to the, how, how they've just turned everything on its head. And now, you know, people have been in this situation for so long. And I think this is what's happening. Like you said, right. Yeah. It's become the norm for people, you know, at the beginning people were more, okay, I want to go back to normal life. I want to, and now people have just like accepted this as normal life. You've got people now who literally have an emotional attachment to their masks and stuff, which is why mm -hmm. they don't even want to give them up after they've been vaccinated. It's like an adult comfort blanket. Yeah. And I'm just like, man, I kind of feel bad for you, man. But if you want to do that, you can do that. I'm not going to stop you. But my issue just comes when people are then trying, you know, advocating to restrict and remove my rights and my freedoms because they are scared. Like, that's not my responsibility. Absolutely. So we just only have, uh, we're just running really out of time. So I just wanted to finish up real quickly with you. How did how did you get to your kind of a worldview now? And um, was it just your lifestyle, or did you like read philosophy books, or like who inspired you and sort of mm. shaped you positively? Um, because for me, this show is all about you know I talk about America and I talk about the Constitution and I talk about you know the role of government and, and kind of from an American point of view as someone mm. who loves it. Um, and you know I'm defined by you know the founders and people like Adam Smith and you know Locke and Burke and and Payne and you know different people mm. who sort of influenced you and sort of got you to the point you're at. I'll make a confession. I have not read any of those people. Okay. I know all the names, but I have not read any political philosophy book. I don't think I've read any, in fact. That will change, but I haven't read any. Um, honestly, it comes from my own life experience, my family, my parents, um, my own personality, I think, is, is a big part of it. And then just from life experience and talking to people, man, just having conversations and thinking. I'm a big thinker. I spend a lot of time thinking, just thinking about, okay, 
what is I, I every day I have internal debates with myself, right? I, I have debates in my own brain, take any issue and I'm there thinking, okay, what are the best arguments for this? What are the best arguments against it? What makes sense? What aligns with my moral matrix and my values, et cetera. And that's how I end up reaching certain positions. And I'm also someone who, you know, for, for the convictions I have, they do tend to be strong, but there are a lot of things where I don't have strong convictions on, and I'm not afraid to say, I don't know. And I'm not afraid to, you know, like have these conversations and consider things from different sides, et cetera. Um, so I think a lot of it comes from just being an inquisitive person, being an honest person and being someone, like I said earlier on, trying to understand humanity. I'm really, really intrigued. I have an infinite, <clears throat> I have an infinite curiosity about the human condition. Like why, why are things the way they are? Why do I believe what I believe? Why do you believe what you believe? What's the history behind this? Why is the, you know, my family background's from Nigeria. Why do, why do people speak English in Nigeria? Like what's the, what's the history there? Why is that? Okay. It's because of this and because of this precursor and that precursor. Why in Saudi Arabia do they believe this? And in the UK, but they believe that like, and which one is, what are the, what are the pros and cons of each one? What are the strengths and the weaknesses? And a lot of people are not honest enough thinkers to do that, right? They just want to take mental shortcuts and say, oh, well, you know, the British way is the best period. That's it. Done. Right. It's very lazy thinking, right? Even if you reach that conclusion, fair, but don't just reach it because of your own sort of national pride and unwillingness to engage with anything else, right? Have a real think about that and see, okay, are there, what are the flaws you know, what are the flaws of the British system? Okay, this is how they do things in the Middle East. Like, okay, what are the strengths of it? What are the merits? Like, what are the things you think they're getting right? Okay, because there are some things that they're definitely getting right. And then, okay, but what are the things that they could probably, what are the things they could teach us? What are the things we can teach them, right? Yeah. Think, think of it that way. Um, but there's just so much lazy thinking in the world. And I understand, you know, sometimes people are busy, whether really or just artificially, but I encourage people to just be be very be quite radically open minded and just be willing to really think these things through and engage with different ideas and you don't need to, it doesn't mean you have to agree with them right it doesn't mean you have to agree with everything but you can at least understand like with any position you should be able to at least understand why the opposite exists if you are someone who so when I meet someone for example who's an atheist and they said something like, oh, I can't even believe, I can't, I don't, I don't even understand how people could believe in God. Like, that's just stupid, right? I'm like, that's a lazy thinker right there. Yeah. That's an unempathetic lazy thinker because I can totally under, I'm a Christian. I believe in God, but I can totally understand why somebody wouldn't, right? And I could even really? make, I could even make. That's a the one argument I can't. Oh, really? I, I'm not, <laughs> I, I get the, the whole, it mightn't be my gods. Okay. But like, this is something I've thought about. Like, oh, I don't know how you can be, there's nothing. Oh, like I look around okay. at the world and I see, you know, even the miracle of like rain, mm -hmm. how these cl clouds form and, you know, water goes down and, then, you know, this atmosphere brings it back up into the sky and then it rains <laughs> and, you know, how this earth, like, you know, just the pure physics and the science of like mm -hmm. our planet is going around and around, around uh -huh. nine other planets and in the sun and all these different things. And mm -hmm. that this just happened by chance. I, I, like, I, I get that people might look at me and kind of go, it's not your God, John. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it might be octopus god. It might be, you know, it might be aliens. It might be Borg. We might be a Borg experiment. Like Star Trek actually might be, you know, mm-hmm. a documentary that we don't know about. It could be something, but that this just happens, you know, even like the, bo- I remember I was very sick last year. I nearly died. And like just understanding the biochemistry of your brain, you know, of your eyes, of your thing, how your body works, you know, your intestines, like how, like it's like miles long and it's like totally together. I just don't see how that's by chance. <laughs> Again, like Kobe, I'm not saying it's my God. Yeah. So I do think about these things, but that's the one thing I really struggle with. That's interesting. Okay, so that, that's a good indicator that you should have a conversation with someone who is like a purebred atheist, right? right. Who really does not believe. I've tried. But what's oh, okay. The, I can never, yeah, I've tried, but I've never got the answer of how this how this world came to be. It's always, well, two atoms came together. I'm like, well, who created the well, two atoms? Yeah, well, well, okay. Well, I mean, at least if you've gotten to that point, then yeah. that's, that's a good part of the conversation, right? Because then at least you can, you know, you, you've, you've got that empathy. So I think the reason why you do believe in God, and I think this goes for most theists, whether or not they really think of it this way, is the world makes more sense to you with some form of God existing mm-hmm. than without. Yeah. And so that's sort of the ultimate conclusion. Whereas someone else, they go through all that and they reach the opposite, right? They yeah. reach, okay, no, it makes more sense without a God or an intelligent creator or whatever. And that's, I think that's sort of the final, I think that's kind of like the, the final split. And those are different conclusions, but at least if you go through that epistemology of thinking, yeah. then you can at least understand, okay, we get there and then the divergence is here. The divergence is, is there. And then that's fair enough. And, and, you know, I think that goes with, with every, with virtually every issue. So, you know, I can understand, I can understand how someone would be a freaking communist, right? Like I'm not, I'm obviously it sounds not, great. It's yeah, like, like, I, yeah I, I think it's a deeply, deeply flawed and horrible philosophy, but I'm not like, Oh, I totally don't get it. Like I can understand how someone would be a, fascist right like i I get it i can understand the you know especially when you put certain conditions i mean come on like look at this past year how can you not understand fascism yeah you can't say certain things you can't exactly if you didn't understand it before you should understand it now after the past 14 months you should understand how under certain conditions especially and when fear is injected when propaganda is used you can see how people just look government yeah everything i will listen to whatever you say, I will even attack my neighbor. I will snitch on my neighbor if it makes me feel safe or if I'm told, right? So before, I think, I think before the past year, it would have been much harder to understand that. But now I'm like, man, the 20th century makes sense to me now, man. Like I can, I can see those same, the same mental circuits and roots that are happened then are happening. And again, now I'm not saying, you know, people are becoming genocidal, but you are seeing the tribalism, right? The splitting off of people, the demonization of people. They're now trying to create this, you know, they're talking, you know, vaccine passports. They want to create this two-tiered society where you have literally an underclass. You know, this class of people cannot do certain activities. Hey, if you want to join us, you've got to go through our secular baptism of taking this needle, right? You can see all of this all, all of these things happening. It's the same psychological wiring because we always have to remember we're the same as our ancestors. Yeah. From, from the hardware perspective, we're the same. Like we're not, we're not, we're not smarter. We're not more like all we have is better, better stuff. We have better yeah. stuff and more access to information, but we have the exact 
same wiring. A German, a German today has the exact same wiring and genetics as a Nazi German in the 1930s or 40s, right? Same, same people. Um, So it's important. But it's very interesting you should say that because I've always said that to people is that we always paint ourselves as heroes. And that's not a good thing in some ways, in the sense that, you know, we always, you know, if you like history, you know, World War II is up because everyone gets called Nazis today. We automatically paint our picture. Well, if I was in Germany in in 1939, I would have done so. And you're kind of going, really? Mm -hmm. It's amazing how we always paint ourselves as virtuous. But if you look at the numbers, uh, I used to always use it as a start, but if you actually look at the numbers of people, the chance that you mightn't have done anything really bad, but you would have been silent. You would have just exactly. went, yeah, exactly. I'm not Jewish. You know, I, it sucks to be Jewish and I'll mourn mm. their debts. But you know what? I'm, 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 not, I'm not speaking up against Hitler. You know, I'm, exactly. I'm, I'm, not get, I'm not risking my family and my job and stuff. And, but we've actually got the evidence now with COVID, you know, how many people are willing to, you know, stand up for mm-hmm. whether it's for faith and whether it's for church, you know, for your church to meet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I say this as some, I'm not Catholic, but I'm Christian. I, you know, Ireland is still a predominantly Catholic country. And, you know, I live in an elderly neighborhood. There's people who haven't had communion. And that's a really big thing to Catholicism mm-hmm. in six months. And I'm like, how have you just accepted this? Yep. With little or no outrage. Because I remember like 10 years ago when the Irish government cut like eight euro off the pension. Literally, the churches were filled with old people going, I, I need my money. This is You can't attack old people. And guess what? They got their eight bucks and reinstated. Mm-hmm. Whereas you've taken communion and mass and your outgoings away and nothing, whether it's, you know, aspects of business, you know, like I feel sorry for business owners. Like I feel sorry for my coach. He's 34 or 35. He has his own little gym. He bought all his equipment and through no fault of his own is, is fighting to make a living. Now he's done different things to pay the money, but if he lost his gym, he's gone bankrupt at 34 through no fault. How can you not have sympathy for that? How, where's yeah. the fight? Where's speaking up for them? We, we've just gone, nope, lockdown, shut down, do nothing. Yeah. And if you disagree, you're dead. You're the bad and person. And no one will do it. Yep. So I think that's what we need to try and find a message to encourage people to say, no, stand up. And also be able to recognize the totalitarian tiptoe. Yeah. Right? So the reason why this has happened as well is because it's been gradual. Yeah. It's been gradual. Um, anyone who has studied sales knows there's something called a compliance ladder, right? So the, you don't start with the biggest ask, right? You, go, yeah. you do you know, a set of small asks and if they comply with this one, you go to the next one. They comply with this one, you go to the next one. You comply. There's compliance tests that we go through every single day, right? If you've been in a romantic relationship, series of compliance tests, right? (laughs) Series of compliance tests, right? You don't just meet the person right off the bat and, you know, lunge in for, you know, a kiss, let alone, you know, anything beyond that. Um, But that's what's happened, right? So it started with what? Two weeks to slow the spread, flatten the curve. That's how it started. Then, hey, we'd like you to wear a mask. And then, hey, wear a mask, right? Notice they dropped the please. They dropped the question, just demand, right? Then it was, you know, I mean, there's been a lot. Wash your hands, stay home, stand six feet apart. Series of compliance tests and people get used to it. You'll clap for the NHS, right? That's a little cultish, isn't it? That's a religious sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, so it, it's bit by bit by bit. If, if, if at the beginning they said all of this stuff, you know, if the situation you're in now, right? If at the beginning, if, if in March, 2020, they came, the government came out off the bat and said, okay, this is what we're doing. People would have been up in arms. But if they say, hey, it's what's the word they keep using? It's just. That's the phrase. Yeah. It's just. It's just a mask. It's yeah. just two weeks. It's yeah. just two more weeks. It's just, it's just, come on, it's just a jab. It's just a yeah. vaccine passport. It's just, right? 
And each, it's a compliance ladder. Each stage can't happen without the stage before. And I saw this early. That's why I was so vehemently opposed to the mask mandate. I said, look, if they can force you to wear a mask, they can force you to, if they can force you to wear a mask and they can force you to stay at home, they can force you, they can force an injection on you, right? They can force this on you. They can, if they can force an injection on you, right? They can control, yeah. they can force you to, they can control your travel. They can take yeah. away your rights. They can take away whatever benefits you may have as a, as a citizen. It's like, they can do all that. Look at China, look at the social credit score. Um, yeah. And so these things don't just happen right off the bat. People need to understand that the slippery slope is not a fallacy. The slippery slope is a very real thing. If you start giving up your freedoms and you have people who are malevolent, then, you know, if, if you want it back, don't give it to the government. Basic rule. Yeah. Um, but again, people don't study history. People don't really think. People outsource their thinking. It's, it's lazy thinking. They say, okay, well, you know, oh, the ma oh, it's just a mask. Okay, it's just a couple of weeks. Cool, I'll do it. Just suck it up. And it's only a tiny minority of people who are wired <laughs> to, yeah. uh, to, to fight against that at every step. I'm one of them. It sounds like you're one of them. Um, and there are those voices and there are millions of them. But, you know, you're always going to be outnumbered. That's the reality. Yeah. Well, listen, where can people find your work? Because it's, it's been a fascinating you know, conversation. I know my audience is going to love it. Awesome. Um, so you can find me at um, Zuby Music, Z-U-B-Y Music on all social media platforms. Definitely follow me on Twitter. I'm also on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. You can check out my own podcast, Real Talk with Zuby on iTunes, Spotify, and you can find my music there as well. Just search for Zuby. And awesome. And uh, I think you've announced you're, you're planning to move to or go to America by the summer, right? Yeah, I'll definitely be going out there. Um, in terms of a permanent move, I know I'm leaving the UK. I'm out the UK soon um, in a couple Snap. months. <laughs> I'm, I'm, out, I'm out of the UK in a couple months. Um, in terms of the exact plans, it's a little bit of a moving target, so I can't reveal stuff for various reasons. Yeah, but um, yeah, I'm going to be getting out of here, man. This is my last year. I plan to live in the UK. Same here. And um, Have you figured out where your first spot in America is going to be? Before, sorry, say that again. Have you figured out where your first stop in America is going to be? Oh, first stop, I'm not sure. I'm definitely going to end up in Texas and Florida, 100%. Um, awesome. But I don't know what the first stop would be. Um, but we will see, man. It's going to play out. Awesome. Listen, thank you so much for joining us. Um, America, we finished this show the way we always do, by saluting you, the American people. Never forget this, the sentence of Tocqueville. America is great because Americans are good. You're not great because of Biden or Trump or the Democrats or the Republicans, but because of each and every one of you. Until next Saturday at 12 noon Eastern, have a beautiful and blessed week. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network.